Hello and welcome to Living a Culture of Life podcast by Human Life International. I'm your host, Colleen, and I'm joined today by Dr. Joe Malone. Welcome. Thank you. I appreciate uh, your ability to have me on this and uh, the, the honor of being here. Thank you. I'm really excited for this conversation today because we're going to be talking about the biological sex differences between men and women and how men and women fall in love differently. So you're a, what's the official phrase, sexual integrity scientist. What is that? I've never heard that phrase before. Can you explain a little bit about what that actually is? Yes. I'm a rare breed, I guess you'd say. <laughs> I'm the only person that I know actually in academia like me. Um, so um, basically, I came to this through a series of, I think, of providential um, happenings in my life. I didn't ever intend to end up here, but I created at the university I was teaching at in Tennessee, Middle Tennessee State. Mm-hmm. I created a women's um, college women's a wellness program there and a, a class that I specifically taught them in women's personal conditioning. And I was doing research for the PhD I got. And uh, in amongst the research that I was doing on, of course, like exercise effects, you know, and their ability to get exercise on campus and their ability to get good nutrition on campus, this um, theme arose that I was really not expecting. Um, and it, it had to do with a thing called hookup culture. And it didn't take me very long, you know, amongst the interviews, I did 32 in-depth interviews with them and 10 focus groups, all women's class focus groups. And I saw right away that this was much more damaging. This casual sex, which is what they were describing, and avoidance of relationship, although that most of them wanted to have relationships, most of them wanted to have relationships, but the, but the males didn't. Mm-hmm. I could see that it was much more destructive to them than what I had originally set out to do. So I went to my committee and asked him if I could switch in the direction of sexual wellness rather than just overall, you know, young women's wellness. Mm-hmm. And they, they said, just what you said, Colleen, they said, we don't know if anybody else is doing <laughs> anything like this. So yeah, we think that would be a, a, a great idea. And so as I went along, um, I, I get the, got the PhD, ended up getting canceled at this university because I was unaware that I was ruffling feathers with uh, saying things like males and females are physiologically different. And, you know, again, I had all the proof because I was researching it this whole, this whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the process of all this, writing the book that eventually published, uh, which again, switched from a, a, an overall wellness, uh, young women's wellness uh, focus to young women's um, sexual wellness. Um, I, I realized that sexual wellness really, when you really, you know, uh, took all the research and you kind of sifted it all down, parsed it all down, mm-hmm. sexual wellness um, equaled sexual integrity because sexual integrity is the way we're designed. And, you know, I, I didn't come to that conclusion because I was a Christian. I specifically went into my research with the thought process of I'm going to do the best, you know, find the best research, find the, the authentic research, mm-hmm. the natural science, mostly based research uh, and some, some social science. And I'm going to write, write, you know, write the book uh, and, and, t- and teach people and speak on this, you know, telling them the truth. And so it turned out that even though it's, as we're going to see today, it's a difficult sometimes journey uh, as far as, um, getting on the pathway uh, to traditional courtship, traditional marriage, traditional family. It is actually though the optimal human human condition. So I'll say it again. What I've discovered is sexual wellness is 
sexual integrity. What and do you mean by both those terms? Like I hear that and I kind of generally know what you mean, but I don't know exactly what, like what is sexual integrity? Is that just picking one partner for life? Is that, and is the wellness health wellness or is it emotional as well? What, what, what does that look like? Good questions. Uh, it's all, wellness is all of it. Really, wellness is the big picture. You get another good word for it would be well-being. So it could include the physical, the social, the emotional, interpersonal, all of, all of it. And um, integrity, the best way I think to paint the picture of integrity as far as sexual integrity is, and this is what I came upon. I was originally, not long ago, I was a, I was a Protestant. But what drew me to the Catholic Church was the church's teaching, the main thing was the church's teaching on, on um, human sexuality. Because when I, when I did the research and then I started, God brought different um, manifestations of, of Catholicism into my life that I was, again, I wasn't uh, planning on this, but these various people that, for instance, I went up and spoke at Princeton, first of all, mm -hmm. at a, to a group called the, the Love and Fidelity Network that, Started there in 2007, and it was because one of the undergraduates there got tired of hook, hookup culture being the only only option on campus. It rapidly spread then to all the other Ivy League campuses, Notre Dame, uh, Stanford, et cetera, et cetera. The people up there in 2018 wrote, read my book, and they asked me to come up and speak to their, their conference. I was glad to do that. And um, when I got up there, you know, they on the on the surface they're a non-denominational I mean, yeah non-denominational non-religious non group but really what i found out was they were a primarily catholic you know a catholic catholic group from there there was people there that asked me to go to catholic university of america to speak next so i sp spoke there in the spring and there was a, a, a gentleman there named um dr pat fagan who is one of the luminaries <laughs> i found out in uh in the catholic world my wife Jody and I had um, we had an afternoon in a, in a pub there on the campus with him, and he ended up explaining all of the different things that I eventually, you know, found out mapped on so well. You know, the Catholic teachings um, as far as human sexuality mapped on so well to physiologically what my research was showing mm -hmm. that that it, it showed me that basically what the Catholic Church had had developed all these years, of course, with God working through them really was the ideal uh, approach to, to sexuality. Let me give you an example, because I can tell you're wanting an example. Um, this is something I was talking, uh, thinking about talking about later, but let's just get, bring it right up. Women's, I'm gonna go to my notes for this. Women's sexual behavior. Okay, let me see if I can find it here. Uh, okay. Young women's sexual behavior affects their future health. Now, what do I mean by that? So here's the tie-in between the integrity and the, and the, and the wellness. Um, <clears throat> early promiscuity leads directly to higher chances of vaginal and cervical cancer, for one thing. Uh, none or minimal number of pregnancies and none or minimal breastfeeding raises her lifetime chances of developing ovarian and uterine cancer. So these are very specific things, very specific behaviors that have these, that raise these risks down the line. Mm -hmm. Delayed childbearing and fewer pregnancies raise the risk of lifetime development of breast cancer. Yeah, we had so, Dr. Angela Lanfranchi on our show talking about that at one point, and then how hormonal birth control also leads to an increase in breast cancer. Right, 
And a, a woman who has, this is a, this was a shocking statistic to me, a woman who has her first child around the age of 20 has half the chance of developing breast cancer as a woman who has her first child around the age of 30. So again, the picture I got, and I won't go further with that, there is more on you know, prom promiscuity as far as mm -hmm. lifetime sexual partners. I can talk, mention that later, but what jumped out at me, Colleen, was that the classic Catholic family, by the way, Dr. Fagan, I think he has, I think he has seven kids. Mm -hmm. The classic Catholic family of saving sex for marriage, you know, keeping, uh, not allowing premarital sex, mm -hmm. um, and then getting married probably earlier because of that, um, in a lot of cases, and then starting to have children earlier and having many children being, you know, open, the procreative and unitive uh, functions of, of the sacrament, sacrament of marriage for, for Catholics. And then breastfeeding, uh, you know, all of that um, has a tendency to, again, make women's down, downstream, you know, health effects, um, the optimal, the, 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 the most positive they can be. And with breast cancer becoming the number one cancer diagnosis in the world as of 2020, um, you know, that's, again, that's an important uh, realization for, I think, especially for young women to have. So, yeah. so it was things like that, almost, almost a miracle, you know, in, in the fact that that maps on so exactly onto what I had already researched and found as, as far as this strange thing about how we do it now, how, how you, young women and young men, you know, how they're not getting married until much, much later. Some of them, they're never getting married. Some yeah. of them never having children, you know, that type of thing. Um, and then the effects of it. And I just thought to myself, you know, when I was talking to, to Pat up there at CUA, I said, you have the cleanest philosophy I think I've ever seen and, and, and the most accurate <laughs> that I've ever seen, you know, and, and, and witnessed. So, that would be my answer to that. And then the other thing was that here's, here's something that'd be interesting that's related to that. When I discovered that, that, you know, this whole sexual integrity, you know, sexual wellness is sexual integrity. And by the way, sexual integrity is, is sexual intelligence. So the, that's kind of the way that it, it links up. And we, we can explain that as we go. But when I discovered that, I got on the internet because I thought, okay, really the whole of humanity sits on this foundation of, of sexual integrity because humans, if you look at it scientifically, humans going back a long time, like millions of years, what the science will tell us, about 2 million years ago, this whole pair bonding thing started. And the pair bonding thing is what has allowed the human brain to triple in size from that, from that time to, to now. It only happened because the male and the female worked together, you know, pair bonded and worked together with the male provisioning the female when uh, a husband provisioning the wife would be the way we would call it. Yeah. Um, and during her, you know, times that she's pregnant, you know, again, it takes 500 extra calories for a woman to carry, to carry a pregnancy a day and then 500 more, you know, when she has the baby to, to breastfeed it extra a day. Doesn't sound like much to us because, you know, hundreds and thousands of calories come, come easily to us in our society. But when they're hunting and gathering way back when, uh, 500 was like a, a tremendous amount of uh, extra of calories to, to bring in. So this uh, partnership that, that started, again, what the science, the best science will tell you, and I think the accurate science will tell you, 
happen because of the they can they can tell because of the size of the skeletons the bones that they found as they come down in time um they would say they would tell you that six to seven million years ago is when the human line started mm-hmm. and it was polygynous to begin with polygynous meaning you know the greek term poly mean meaning many and gyne meaning female so one one man with several wives so for about four or five million years we had a polygynous uh, situation and our and any kind of polygynous um, species, you're going to have the males going to be much larger than the female. And the bone fragments that they found, the skeleton that they found, show that males during that time period were about, were about 50 percent bigger than our females today, or then. Um, that shrunk down to about fifteen to twenty percent. Now we're only about fifteen to twenty percent. Monogamous species, um, for a lot of different reasons, the, the bodies and sizes of the, of the two male and female are, are, are either exactly the same or very close to being the same. So what that tells us, amongst a lot of other things, is that in the time coming down to us in present, in the time, the last particularly two, two million years, by the way, when you know fire was discovered and a lot of other things that humans started being able to do, you know, run animals off cliffs and, and you know, uh, take advantage of our brains that were that are increasing in size. Um, it's really made the human um, exceptionalism that we all know we have today, that put us on the moon, for instance, you know, and you and I are talking here on this, or who knows how many miles, um, comparing that to chimpanzees and where they are. Uh, so all that said, chimpanzees, um, fathers, you know, once they impregnate the, the female, and by the way, they have a very promiscuous um, mating system, uh, once a female chimp goes into, into heat, and by the way, her genitals show that, that she has sexual swelling. It, it's, it smells very you know, provocative to the, to the males. Most of them in the pack or pride, whatever, whatever the proper term is, um, mate with her. And so their, their mating system is a one where is a sperm competition, which... Mm-hmm has led in their bodies. And by the way, you can tell by looking at species, I hope this is more than you probably bargained for in your answer. Um, you can look, look for this in a species, the, the males in a promiscuous species will have testicles that are much bigger than the males in another species that don't have a promiscuous mating system. And chimpanzees, even though they're smaller than we are body-wise, they have uh, testicles that are three times the size of our males because as far as what's been happening, as far as the, tra- the genes being handed down, the, the ones that have had the most semen to be able to put into the female, uh, when all of them mate with, the, with this female that's gone into heat, have been the ones on average that have had more, more you know, babies born. Mm-hmm. So that, that hasn't um, you know, been a factor for us for the last two million years because we've been mostly mating you know, you know, mon- monogamously. The other thing is, besides that that difference and, and the female and the sexual swelling and that type of thing, one other thing that's a, a big indicator that you know we have a we're we're, mon- we're monogamous, we're designed to be monogamous, and they're designed to be promiscuous. Is that they don't get they don't get bacterial um, STDs. They're immune to those because, for one thing, well they've been they've been promiscuous over all these generations, thousands of generations, and so. The ones that would have gotten or did, did get the um, did get STDs 
bacterial ones at least uh, didn't make it, you know, so they have a higher white blood cell count, the, the uh, promiscuous chimpanzees do than we do much higher. So anyway, all that said, um, I realized that, you know, the way, and I believe that God, you know, had a, a design in all of this. That's my belief. On it. it was intelligent design all the way through this. Mm-hmm. And um, the way he created humanity was the key thing was this, what we call the sacrament of marriage that allowed surplus energy to be put into the, into the, into the women as they were um, getting pregnant and then, uh, you know, carrying, carrying the baby and then uh, nursing the, the, the infant, but then pretty soon having another, you know, having a toddler and then having an, another pregnancy and on down the line. So um, I, I thought to myself, this is like, you know, this is like uh, profound and, and I can't be the only one that has realized this. And so what I said, I'm going to search the internet. I know, I know there'll be hundreds, maybe thousands of people that are working on sexual integrity because it's such a, a key um, fact, a, a part of our history. No, there was two, there was two, <laughs> two uh, entities uh, working on it. One was this uh, entity uh, trying to help uh, teenagers stay off of porn. And the other, other one was, um, uh, heartbeat international, <laughs> oh, yeah. the, the pro, the pro-life group. And so I just, uh, I'll tell you this story, then I'll get back to your other, other thoughts, other questions. Um, so I contacted them via, via email and they got back to me and they said, let's get up, let's get on a phone call. And mm-hmm. so we did. And right away they go, who told you about us? Who, who told you to call us? And I, and I said, <laughs> I said, nobody, I did, I did they describe the circumstances, my exact, what I'd done. And they said, this has got to be a, a God thing. They said, because we've had a sexual integrity program that we started about 20 years ago and it's been dormant for about the last seven years. And we're just getting ready to bring up a new, a new version of it. And we want somebody new to lead it. You know, and would you be interested in leading it? And I would I be interested? <laughs> Very. So I've been working with them, speaking to their conferences for the last, I think, two or three years. But anyway, I say all that to say this, that sexual integrity, if I haven't defined it for you already, it's the idea of saving sex for marriage. And in a minute here, when I describe this, you'll see why it's so important. Um, and then and, and marrying, you know, one man marrying one woman and creating a, a, a family of which the children enjoy the benefits of having one man, you know, a father and a, and a mother and all the things that all the good that comes from that. So the opposite of integrity would be kind of a lot of the things we're doing, you know, otherwise today. So, you see so it everywhere. does that answer your question? I think it does. Okay. <laughs> what is the most fascinating thing that you've learned studying all this? Like what stood out I mean, to you the most or surprised you? There's, there's so many things that have been fascinating. One of them is you know, the fact that you can tell a species, whether it's monogamous or, or polygynous or, or, you know, polyandrous, which would be one woman and, and many males, which mm-hmm. are extremely rare. Uh, that's been one thing, but probably the most important and most, um, I guess, thing that stood out to me is what I'm about to tell you about right now, how okay. men bond differently than, than, than women. <laughs> <laughs> do yeah. and how it fits in again like i said it fits in with you know christianity in general but it especially fits in with uh, the catholics uh, church church's approach to 
to morality. Let's just dive right into that then. (laughs) How do they bond friendly? Because this is, you posed this as a potential topic and I looked at it and I was like, yes, let's do this. I'm really excited to hear about this because I think it's so interesting, the biological, physical component of falling in love because we're body soul composites. So it's going to be a huge part of it. And I think that it can sometimes either be put too much emphasis on it or just be neglected depending on which circles you're running in and like recognizing that there's a very physical part of falling in love with someone. So, yes, yeah. it's so important in, the, in these days where there's so much confusion and so much, um, I don't know, I think despair, you know, in, in a lot of cases, especially on the side of the, the women that are involved because it's uh, women's instinct more, I think it is than, than for men to, to, to bond and to fall in love. So let me just take it, take it through you, take you through it. And, and uh, if you have a lot of female listeners, this is really headline news. When I, when I've spoken on this on college campuses, the women in the audiences, the young women, it was really strange at first. I thought, why are they taking their, their, their phones out and, and they're raising them up, you know, and they're, they're, they started filming. <laughs> they started filming. I think they wanted to t- show this to their boyfriends, you know, and uh, it was a strange phenomenon. So men's bonding response is more complex than women's. And what happens here with this is that males have the main bonding uh um, the main bonding biochemical is one called vasopressin and different people pronounce it differently, but you know, vasopressin, some kind of, but mm-hmm. it is the important thing with vasopressin is that it has to be in the male's brain for a long period of time. Uh, and in, in that case, like most of these chemicals, it will start, you know, uh, creating receptors to it because the receptors will be formed in response to it. If it's in the brain long enough. But the thing is about vasopressin is it will be washed out by the chemical explosion, you, you know, the, the, the um, cascade of chemicals that happen at orgasm, which are serotonin, oxytocin, and especially opioids. Opioids is the big one. So the picture that arises is that the old school um, chaste dating, um, respect between the males and the females, uh, him being around her a lot and just, you know, loving every minute of it, going to dinner, going to movies, you know, uh, hugging, kissing, uh, that type of thing, body contact, that type of thing, which again, uh, raises endorphin levels, which is another bonding chemical. Um, mm-hmm. but avoiding, uh, sex, uh, outright sex, and especially sex to orgasm, that is what over time binds him to her. Because again, this is a, vasopressin receptor about a million times, you know, enlarged the vasopressin molecule eventually. And the question on college campuses is always Dr. Malone, how long is it? How long does it take? (laughs) And I I grudgingly, I only grudgingly tell him, but I want to tell him the truth on everything. So in order to keep that going, I do tell him, but the, the molecule finally docks, you know, with it. And when it does, uh, his testosterone starts dropping. Now his testosterone was high because he was around this woman he's sexually attracted to all the time and he's you know not quote unquote getting anything um and so again it, it, it once once that bonding once that uh, docking takes place then his testosterone comes down and then the secondary um bonding chemical for males oxytocin which is the primary bonding chemical for for women comes into play and there's a double bond there and that's when that's when he gets in a good way territorial about her he um 
she's his woman, you know, and, and that type of thing. So, and again, going back into the past, you know, where we had, where we didn't have an expectation of sex before marriage, you know, let's say 1960 and early and before, mm -hmm. um, that process played itself out over and over and over again. And it really works to the advantage of both of them because if a, a woman is being promiscuous with a man, if she's being, if she's easy, so to speak, that whole process, that whole vasopressin bonding process goes out the window for a couple of reasons. One, one I described it to you as far as just as the biochemistry doesn't, um, doesn't mix. And the, the other is that men, and this is really important for women to know, men have the tendency, especially the high testosterone alpha male types, to start categorizing women right away. If she is easy, um, he is going to start categorizing her into the for a good time only, but not for marriage. And then if she isn't, um, he's going to categorize her into the other one, the, the marriage potential. And this is based not so much on, you know, chauvinism and that type of thing, like a lot of women might think, but there's really an insecurity in, in male humans, men, in other words, because, you know, there's a couple things at play here. There's women have what we call uh, female choice. Female choice is based on finding somebody that has genes that really appeal to her. In other words, the good looking guy, you know, hunky guy, that type of thing. That will, that will produce good, great children. But the other thing is the kind of guy that will be having enough character to stick around and be honest and that type of thing. So she's balancing female choice, that type of thing with his paternity certainty, you know, with our internal gestation that we have really only the women are the one, only ones that know for sure who the father is, you know? Yeah. So over time, these, these young men from the past, it's been very important for them to, be able to trust her. And uh, so it turns out that sexual integrity and sexual loyalty are the most highly valued traits in a woman that a man is considering asking to, to marry him. So women need to know that. The other thing is women don't know is that <clears throat> a sex difference as we're talking after unmarried intercourse, uh, a man's evaluation of a woman after unmarried intercourse will start dropping typically about 10 seconds after he has orgasm with her. doesn't take very that long. Because you were saying the chemicals wash out the bonding chemical. Yeah. And he's on to, if, you know, if he's got a phone nearby, maybe I'm, I'm being a little facetious here, but soon he's going to be, you know, he's going to be looking, you know, tender or whatever it is uh, for the next one. And the next one, and the next one, it allows, it allows a man, because this is a dopamine. It's a real, you know, Hookup sex is a real dopamine popper for men and also, you know, of course, testosterone. It keeps his uh, testosterone and dopamine high all the time. And he never gets to that, again, that bonding, that vasopressin and oxytocin stage. Mm -hmm. So, again, what the women don't realize is that, and again, I, I've had um, two young women I was working with, and they each had a mom in one case and a dad in the other case. And, and the mom and the dad, different marriages and such. But they both had destroyed their marriages by cheating on their spouse. And, you know, they were single now. And they told their daughters that their 20-something-year-old daughter, you know, you got to have sex these days with a guy in order to, for him to consider consider marrying you, you know, in order to, you got to let him kind of test you out. Well, again, <laughs> that's the worst thing that they can do. Because, you know, here's a scenario. Because she has a more simple bonding process at all. All it takes is dopamine, which he's getting from being around him 
and oxytocin, which is rising, you know, by the two of them being together and, you know, hugging, kissing, that type of thing. But especially if they have sex, her oxytocin really jumps through the roof. So, so the woman will then she bond is all bonded. It's like she'll again. bond a lot more. She'll bond a lot more yeah. after having sex. And it's very simple and easy for her to bond. So she's bonded to this guy. And, and you know, 10 seconds afterwards, he's, he's he literally, she's, he's so much better looking than I thought he was. And he's such a great guy, you know, such a, he'll be such a good husband and father. Little does she know that what her, her giving it to him, so to speak, has kind of destroyed that basically. So this is why the old school 1960 and back, you know, they only had 5% of their um, births out of wedlock, 5%, you know, we're at 40 now overall. And some ethnic groups have 70, you know, up to 70 and, you know, kind of ranges. So, um, we're in a horrible place as far as our society goes that way. And it's because we've, we've departed from this. Let me give you something, Colleen, here that, and your listeners, your audience, I think it's really important along the lines of all this, kind of sum this up. Yeah. Two ways. One, the research is showing that the shorter the time to sex in a relationship, the shorter the relationship. I'll say it again. The shorter the time to sex in a relationship, this is on a population basis, the shorter the relationship. So first date, sex, boom. Again, what the research has shown is that boom, you know, that, that relationship lasts next to nothing. Mm-hmm. And, and so anyway, the longer, the longer the time that the, the couples on average population basis wait to have sex. And again, I think, you know, yours and my bias is wait until after marriage, however long that is. Um, it turns out that it, 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 the, the relationship lasts longer. And, I was talking to a um, co-ed young, young woman in, on one of the campuses in Florida, Florida State, actually. And she asked the question, you know, what, what's the thing that causes most marriages to break up and marriages to be unhappy? Mm-hmm. And I looked at her and said, I'm, you know, I said, what the research shows is that uh, numbers of premarital sexual partners um, has the biggest effect on whether a marriage will last and whether it's happy. And um, not meaning the higher the number, <laughs> the less chance oh, it's going to be happy and last. Yeah. And she looked at me and boy, she did not like that answer. She kept trying to find a way, you know, to, well, it can't, can't be because of that. And I, I told her, you know, and this is, I'll tell your audience that, you know, these are just population averages and these are on a population basis. So there's going to be exceptions to that rule. But on for the most part, that's your b- best indicator. You know, uh, what's going to, how a marriage is going to go is how, how chaste have you been? In both cases uh, up to that time so that's one thing the shorter the time to sex in a relationship the shorter the relationship and the other thing that young women need to realize is that every stage at every stage of commitment males t- testosterone drops so what i mean by that uh gets a girlfriend his t- testosterone drops um they become engaged his testosterone drops he gets married drops some more they start having children and he holds the children they found out that they need the the, the dad, the new dad, he needs to hold the child because there's a pheromonal exchange that goes on there. His testosterone, testosterone drops most of all. It dro- drops by 50%. Does that, that stri- differ? If she has a boy or a girl, does that affect it? Because I've heard that it does, but I don't know. I've never seen the science on that. I have not seen that research that, that, okay. that a different sex affects it. But um, the research that I've seen shows that it drops by 50% at that point. And his um, cortisol drops by 300%. So he's, here's his relaxed 
low testosterone guy. And then his um, uh, estradiol, which would be the, the young woman's uh, estrogen, rises by 200%, which wow. allows the oxytocin, the um, estrogen, which again, estradiol was, was one of the three types. Mm-hmm. Estrogen and oxytocin are buddies. They, they boost each other. So that bonding process with his child really, really gets strengthened by that that course of events with, with the biochemistry that's, again, there uh, by nature. Again, when I look at this, I see God. I see God um, has instituted these uh, this pathway, this life course, this, this biochemical life course. So, And when we go away from it, um, when we go away from it, we pay for it in certain ways. Now, I let me just say this. Questions. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> so one more quick thing on that. Yeah, you say yours uh, and then. Yeah. Okay. Here's the thing. The other thing that goes along with this chronic high testosterone is bad for you. That's one reason that men generally, I mean, generally men don't live as long as women. That's one thing, Uh, but, and it's unhealthy while chronic high oxytocin, which is what we get from these kind of these marriage relationships, family relationships Mm -hmm. raises oxytocin. It is very healthy. It's actually cardioprotective for one thing. It also lowers cancer risk. So testosterone raises the problems with those and, and mm-hmm. oxytocin lowers them. Marriage is the pathway to this. And that's that's what I want young people to see is that we're sacrificing a lot, our, our well-being for that. Now, your question. Okay, I have three. And they're kind of yeah. all really, they're like ones that have come up as you've been talking that I'm curious about. First of all, how long is that bonding process? Because you said women ask and you don't like to tell them, but then you tell them anyway. So I'm curious. The second is how does, that, porn, how does porn affect? Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Give me all three. Yeah. How does porn affect their bonding? Does that cause chemical like disruptors that are going to keep them from men from bonding? And, Male and female, how does both. how does sex or both? Um, how does if premarital sex is going to make the man like try to start looking for another woman? What is sex after marriage? How does it affect their bonding? Okay, so. The first, the answer to the first one, you may have to remind me your questions, but the answer to the okay. first one, the dreaded answer I <laughs> I have to give is four months. It has to be at least four months, okay, of dating, you know, chastely and that type of thing before that bonding process can, can take place. Once again, I would advocate, <laughs> you know, a year-ish or so, year, year and a half, two years, whatever of that and, and uh, then getting married, getting to know each other real well. Now, remind me of your second one. Um, porn. How does about... porn affect the bonding for both? Porn. Porn is the um, is the elephant in a lot of rooms mm-hmm. these days. Um, it's like an artificial. It's like an artificial sexual partner, really, and especially for men. Men have uh, males. M- males have uh, six times the chance of being addicted to porn that, that, that females do. So. Unfortunately, I think these days it's taking the place in a lot of cases of human, real human relationships and with a lot of boys and young men, because, you know, the average first age of exposure is at from 10 to 13 years old. Mm-hmm. They're getting uh, addicted to it, bonded to it, you know, at such a young age. And it, it puts them into depression. Uh, it's what it does, because. As I said earlier on the hookup culture, when humans are having, especially human males are having sex often, they're, they're coming to orgasm. Let's just put it that way. And I hope I'm not too graphic for your audience or you, but it's hard to talk about this subject and really get the, the truth across without doing that. 
Uh, but when they're coming to orgasm often, like say, let's say every other day and that type of thing. Um, and through that method and especially having started with that, their, their mind basically being so plastic as it is, as, as a, as a, a uh, you know, just going into their teenage years or preteens, that type of thing, it has a tendency to, um, that is their sexual map, you know, in, in their brain. So it kind of wipes out the, t- the typical bonding process with rats, which happen to be very similar as far as they're obviously much smaller, but their brains are very similar to ours and work the same, a lot of the same way. What they've done with them to find to the research that would impact on what you're asking, they've um, chemically manipulated them because they can go into their brains and everything with, with chemicals, the things they wouldn't do to us. They can't do to us. Mm-hmm. And they've, you know, put an estrus female rat in with them that, and they had them do the typical, you know, um, the young rat, you know, just coming to fit to, to maturity, sexual maturity. will find the way to, to mate with that, with that, that female in estrus rat, in heat rat. Um, they've done, they've done it though, where they, that's the same coming of maturity again. So it'd be like compared to our young people, ten, teenagers, and just put a hammer in the cage and then they manipulated the, manipulated the, uh, rat's brain with dopamine, you know, and testosterone and that type of thing. And he associates then the, the, the hammer or whatever it was they put in the cage with, with arousal. So he gets aroused at, at that. They put the estrus female in and she, he's not aroused to her. So He's mapped onto, he's imprinted onto that, that object. So for our young, especially boys with porn, they're my sneaking suspicion. I don't haven't seen absolute um, research on it much, but because that's a, that's kind of a unique and good question that you just asked the effect of it on bonding. Um, I, my sneaking professional opinion would be that they, they've already bonded, you know, with, with that activity that they've got going. And they're addicted to it. So it would have a negative effect on their relationships with females, real females. As a matter of fact, again, they don't have to go anywhere, you know, and take any chances as far as like asking a girl out. They don't have to do any of that. They've got their sexuality in their bedroom or wherever it is. So it's very destructive, very destructive, especially on the male side. But on the female side of it, generally females in the past have not been that very um, vulnerable to it. But Here's something your female listeners should should be aware of too. The research is, is showing and has shown that females, their age of first sexual arousal, the earlier that they have that first sexual arousal, the more open they are to um, these types of things, casual sex. Um, they call it sociosexuality. You know, their sociosexuality index goes up. I don't like that name because it just kind of takes the place of you know, willingness to have casual sex, willingness to watch porn, you know, that type of thing. So um, some of these girls that are maybe being exposed to porn early, they're having some of the, some of the same problems. Uh, and also girls that get um, abused, which is obviously not their fault. They get abused and they, they experience sexual arousal young, very young. They're sort of a different breed of cat, so to speak, from your typical young woman that doesn't get exposed to it. And Again, has the a huge sex difference as far as sex drive and and um, sociosexuality. I guess I'll just say so. The third the third part of your question was remind me how does if sex before marriage makes the man start looking for another woman, 
what happens to the bonding with sex within marriage? Does it actually draw him closer to the woman or is there still a change in their bonding because of that? Like a negative how, change. So premarital sex, how does it affect him and his bonding within the marriage? We talked about, well, no, if, so you were saying that with premarital sex, a man doesn't bond with a woman. He starts looking for the next woman, mm -hmm. basically. How is that different within marriage? Like if what chemically is going on with him, if he's actually married, if a man saves himself from marriage and the woman saves herself from marriage, does, how does sex affect his bonding with her within marriage? Oh, it, it, it's, uh, it's perfect actually, <laughs> except the, the one thing, you know, with the whole purity culture of the 15 or 20 years ago, whatever it was, um, when they made sex so like, I don't know, stigmatized it, I guess so much mm -hmm. that they weren't even supposed to think about, you know, attraction and you know, they weren't, there's one guy that wrote the book I've kissed dating goodbye, I think. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, if they, when they went too far with that, as far as making sex bad and, uh, you know, um, not having any, any kind of physical, uh, hugging, kissing, that type of thing, um, the effect on them, uh, some of them, they got to their wedding night and they bo were both virgins and they were both intimidated, you know, by, I have people that I know that shared that story with me. So I think if you handle it correctly, like again, in the old days where it was just, just expected that you were going to remain virgins until you got married mm -hmm. uh, and, and it was normed that way, I think it, wor it works fine. Again, it's so rare these days that it's, it's hard to do research these days on porn or that, you know, because they don't have anybody, anybody that's not doing porn. If, yeah. Their first, you know, the first research they did in 2009, they couldn't find anybody on a college campus that didn't, wasn't using porn for the, for the control group. And there's so few that are, you know, remaining virgins to marriage now. Um, but that's the best, best case scenario, as long as it is, it hasn't been stigmatized and the bonding, the, the bonding will take place um, very, very well. Uh, both of them have worked on their muscles, so to speak, their chastity muscles, um, mm -hmm. uh, by resisting temptation, you know, along the way. And so it's a, it's a, I think, uh, I think it's the, the way it was meant to be. I have a, a friend, a colleague, actually a female colleague in Texas that she was a virgin, uh, until she th age 32, she got married and I was actually, I met her before she got married. And so, um, she was on, she was Miss Texas and she was, um, on a reality dating show. And then her husband was a major league baseball player. Um, he was a virgin as well. And again, he was like around her same age and they, they'd been, they'd saved themselves that long. And once they got married, I, um, they've been married about maybe two years now. And it's been, it's been great. They're kind of an example of the, I think the unicorn, I guess you'd say. <laughs> The, so these days basically so. sex within marriage is going to make the man bond better with the woman yeah because he doesn't have to worry about um her having had experience with somebody else and comparing him to somebody else and okay. um again the intuitively instinctively men find women that are easy um they, they're, they find that suspicious as far as a long-term uh commitment goes. So, um, it's kind of like, you know, in, in the wild with an animal that is finds their prey and finds them too easy. 
you know, it, it comes across them too easy. They're generally, generally in life, that doesn't happen. Generally, you have to, you have to work for things that are worth worthwhile. So, um, so that's, yeah, again, I, I would say it's the um, best case scenario, as long as it isn't stigmatized, they, they aren't so afraid of it, that they're not able to do what comes naturally when the time comes to, you know, after they've um, fully committed to each other in marriage. I have a question too that you might know the answer to. So people talk about like the chemistry between men and women. Is that a personality thing or is that actual, like, are there people that are more, like women that are more attracted to men or men that are more attracted to women based on a chemical makeup? Like what role do chemicals and hormones play in the chemistry between men and women? Another excellent question. (laughs) And yeah, um, pheromones. Have you heard of pheromones? I mean, you mentioned them earlier with the father holding his child, but I've heard the name yeah. before. I heard much about them. Well, it's real obvious and real well accepted in the in the quote unquote animal world. You know, the other species, and yeah. you know, all the way down to insects that they, that that's how they do their communication a lot, especially mm-hmm. sexual communication. And more recently, uh, humans have been shown to have pheromonal communication. And what it is is. It's not actually a, a smell necessarily because we don't actually sense it as a smell. Although the the organ that that actually picks up on it is up in our our nasal cavity up there. Um, and what it does is this pheromone that one sex is giving off affects the behavior of the other sex. And to your question, there are certain people that will have a tendency not to be attracted to each other on this basis. And that is for one, that's, that's family members. Um, that's one reason that, you know, a brother and a sister can be the most attractive things in the world, you know, sexiest things around, but they're not attracted to each other because they have a extremely close, um, it's called major histocompatibility complex MHC. What that is, is our immune system basically. God designed us to be attractive on, on the pheromonal level, chemical level, the chemistry between us. Mm-hmm. He designed us to be attracted to people who are different from us, have a different uh, MHC, major histocompatibility complex. And the, the wisdom of that, the beauty of that is that, you know, when you get these two people that are different, have the, these different immune systems, they come together, they have children, those children are going to have a superior immune system to both of them. And that's just going to continue to work down down the line. So that's one of the beauties of, as I mentioned earlier, the intelligent design of God, how God designed us. Um, literally on that that front, women uh, have one. They have a certain type, and this is, again maybe more than you're bargaining for on your answer, but they have a certain type of uh, pheromone called a copulin, and it's named after copulate actually, and so during a woman who's naturally cycling, and again, doesn't does count for people that want ones that are on hormonal birth control, which we can talk about in a minute here. Yes. Um, she, every month as she comes to her ovulatory uh, window, we call it, which if you're counting the first day of her, her uh, period, you know, yeah. the first day is day number one. And then five days in on average, her period will stop. And, you know, going to about, three days after that, three or four days after that, let's say day, day eight, if I'm on a 28 day cycle, eight through about 14. So that five or six days there, that's yeah. her ovulatory window. That's when she can actually get pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, 
what's happening in her vagina is that these copulins are way up inside her, up, you know, up near her uterus and cervix and that type of thing. But as she comes to this ovulatory window in, within the cycle, um, they go out to the surface. They go out near the surface of the vagina and men that are close to them, males that are close to them can pick, pick that up. And uh, it stimulates the men, stimulates the men uh, sexually. So uh, interesting research they did to find this out. They did, they did this study in Las Vegas with lap dancers and the lap dancers that worked on hormonal birth control. And, you know, at the time that, that their obligatory window came up, they ended up making 75% more money from the men, men tipping them than they did when they were not in the cycle or if they were on, on hormonal birth control. Oh so, my gosh. Um, yeah. Okay. I have so, another question then. Yeah. Based off yeah, of that. Well, okay. okay. It's, right. it's related to this. Are women more attracted to men when they're on that part of their cycle? Yes. Yes. As a matter of fact, one of the other things I was going to say, and we might not get through all this today, or maybe we can come back for another session, <laughs> but, but women, but women, uh, cause there's so much, I think, important and interesting um, things to learn here. I, yeah. That was my experience. I, I, I really became a better self-manager once I, I learned all this. And that's my goal with whoever I get to share it with. Um, yeah, th their their sex drive is highest then, um, particularly if they combine. It doesn't have to be, but if they combine alcohol with that, alcohol raises women's testosterone levels. And it raises men's too, a uh, small amount of it. But then if they, if they drink more than that, the, the men's testosterone levels start dropping. Okay. But women have so such little testosterone normally and compared to men. Men have 20 times more on mm -hmm. average. They're not used to its effect. And of course, it, the alcohol inhibits the frontal cortex, and, and, mm -hmm. uh, inhibits their inhibitions, you know. So if they combine alcohol with that fertile time of their, 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 period, their cycle, the ovulatory window, they're much more uh, uh, driven sexually and, and much more reckless. Much, uh, this is when bad stuff can happen that, that they kind of uh, let happen or, or part of. Yeah. They also, the research is interesting women also have a tendency to dress more provocatively, you know, single women uh, during that time period. If a woman that's married is going to have an affair, it's going to be during that time period. And then it's going to be with somebody that is genetically probably superior to her husband, uh, the hotter guy, you know, so to speak, you know? So, um, yeah, it's a day. It's a dangerous time as far as um, casual sex goes for a woman. And again, especially with, with alcohol involved, it's, Alcohol would be the closest thing to an aphrodisiac, aphrodisiac um, that I can think of, you know, for a woman. Well, back to back, back to the pheromones. The copulins is is a very interesting one, but there's a, this other one called androgens, and andro is you know the, the Greek word for male. So it's the it's the pheromones that males give out, and really, females. This is a bigger deal for females, and they're better at detecting them than males are. Uh, and by the way, females sense of smell is much more, more, um, acute than, than males is on average. Uh, so for a, a woman, um, that's in a relationship, like a really a loving relationship, let's say, let's say a married relationship or maybe engaged. They've done research on this where they've had thousands of guys, uh, wear these t-shirts for a week with no cologne or anything and no, no, uh, deodorant and that type of thing. And then, you know, they've had like thousands of these shirts. And they found that these women that are bonded to these men, 
can pick their 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 loved one <laughs> shirt out from all these shirts from 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 the smell, and it's not even the smell. I mean, they're not really smelling it. They're just they're just they're just sensing it. The other thing is that's amazing about women and smell and this pheromone thing is they can take a bunch of guys, and some of them are you know very asymmetrical. They're, they have uneven things going on in their body, and they're they're what people would say are unattractive guys. And then you can have these real symmetrical guys, you know, that, that, uh, and then also very like uh, masculine and muscular and that type of thing, have them all wear shirts, the same type of thing, um, t-shirts and the women can pick out the symmetrical ones from, from, from the scent, so to speak on, on it. So, um, it's a the, much of attraction, I guess the point we're making here, much yeah. of attraction between people is chemistry, the kind of chemistry that we're talking about. Um, and it's at an unconscious level. It's at the limbic system, which is right in the middle of the brain. So it's, a, yeah. it's, it's the emotional part of our brain. It's, it's where, um, uh, if we are going to talk about one more major sex difference between the males and the females, it's where all the sex drive of the, both the female and the males is located, mm -hmm. but much more in the male side. So, um, people are drawn to, uh, others even without the visual component, even though the visual component is, is, is important. One other thing on, on that, um, kissing is so important in this, along this line, as far as pheromone communication, it is especially to women, uh, women, um, because when you think about it on a kiss, mm -hmm. there's these pheromones are, are rife, you know, in our saliva, in our mouths. Mm -hmm. When, when a, a woman and man kiss, they're exchanging that, that chemical information. And almost no uh, males, the research has shown, will ever break up a um, break up a dating situation or, or a chance for sex with a woman over a bad kiss. But 50% of the women will. The 50% of the women will cut off a relationship if it was a bad bad first kiss because their sensitivity to the and the, the things that are in the saliva and the chemistry or not to you know, match up um, is really really sensitive. And I have another question women, about that. Then <laughs> women have uh, women, and one more quick thing: women have much more to lose with a bad match because they're the ones that are going to end up. You know, really, their body creates the baby, other than mm -hmm. the, the DNA from the sperm. Go ahead. Go ahead. From, okay, I've read that when men and women kiss, that there's a hormone in the men's saliva that turns the woman on, and that there's a hormone in the woman's saliva that makes the man bond to them, like get more, like the part that actually triggers the bonding and not just the like sexual high. Is that true? And is there any other like weird stuff going on when they kiss? That particular piece of research I have not heard before, but it, it makes sense with, with what the, the rest of the, the story that I know about, because women have a tendency to have these reinforcers to, to bonding if they want to, you know, kind of um, bonding encouragers <laughs> that they have, you know, in, in their whole makeup. So that 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 would make sense and and on, on the guy side of it not not so much but um it's very uh, very possible but i can't say that i've i've heard heard that um there's the element of just sort of related to that you know women that have sex with a guy that they let's say it's non-consensual sex and and uh, mm -hmm. or becomes non-consensual sex as it, as it goes on they have a, a ways as far as being able to kind of um, be inhospitable to, to the semen that, that's that's left mm -hmm. there. So and not, not only our species, but there's some species that have real 
they call it cryptic, uh, cryptic something or other, cryptic um, rejection, that, that type of thing. So, um, yeah, there's all these different chemical, um, in some cases, warfare going on, and then other uh, uh, sexual conflict, they call it. And in other cases, um, things that are promoting bonding, especially on the female side of it. Or in the male side of it, I'll just say this as far as semen goes, um, a male that's having sex with a woman, she doesn't know it oftentimes, but his semen has things in it that makes her feel better. And the exact chemicals, let me see if I can find that. Well, just from memory, um, serotonin, um, endorphins. Uh, again, there's one more, there's one more along that line. And then also FSH, follicle stimulating hormone, which is part of the way that, that her, that, you know, our own system stimulates ovulation and LH, luteinizing hormone. It has all of that in the semen. So again, ideally, I tell this to every group that that I ever speak to, all of this, that fact alone speaks volumes and screams monogamy because within a committed relationship, um, the man and the woman having, un, as they call it, unprotected sex, um, yeah. no condom, it's really beneficial you know, to both of them. They found, they've literally found that the women in a good marriage, let's just say, and having unprotected sex have much higher scores as far as not being depressed than women who are let's say not married and ha- and the guy wearing a condom and they're not ha- getting any of, the, any of that semen um, into their system. It's, in, it's, it's absorbed in the vagina. So anyway, there's element after element. If we're able to go through this some more. Um, yeah, you can, we can go through a little bit more. Um, okay. Would okay. you be open to coming back on the podcast at some point to talk about the contraception side of it? Cause I think that's too big of a topic to tackle all of that today, but I would love to do, like an episode on the like biological problems of um, contraception. I would love it. And I would be honored to do that. Cause that's uh, another thing that brought me to the Catholic church was how accurate the Catholic church's stand is on that, how, how healthy it is on that. So yeah, yeah consider it, well, consider it done. Okay. So, well, let's go through your you points now. And then, um, let's just, you had said you had some more points. So why don't you start, go through those? And if I have questions, I'll ask them because most of the ones I had, left were more related to the contraception side. So I'll save those for the next one. Okay. Very important topic. Mm-hmm. Um, going on with sex differences. Okay. Mm-hmm. So again, a huge one, the front page news is, is that men don't bond through casual sex. And by the way, casual sex is an oxymoron because there's nothing casual about that sex. Um, yeah. So women, women that are listening, know that you've got a superpower. The superpower is called chastity chastity until marriage. And, uh, the guy, you know, the, the bar, if the bar is low, you know, as far as obtaining sex, the guy will slither over it. Thankfully, if it's high, he will find a way to get over it. And high is the, where you want to be the conditions you set, which is historically what's happened. And even other species, the females and other species demand certain things, certain, um, things happen before sex occurs. All right. Why is it so important? What drives males to go through all that to get sex? Well, men are much more easily sexually stimulated than, than women are. There are three areas of the male's brain that are twice as big as, and they're the sexual pursuit areas, 
Uh, one's called the medial preoptic area. And as, as it implies, it's, it's located right behind where the optic chiasm comes into the brain, right, right there yeah. in the hypothalamus. And it's, as I said, twice as big and, and packed with twice as many neurons. So, uh, and very sensitive to, to sight. That's why women may find themselves, you know, with a guy on a date and he's, he's kind of scoping the room. Well, it isn't so much you that you're that you lady that is, is the problem. He's kind of got this built in thing going on, on there with, with that. Um, and also it, that area is very sensitive to testosterone levels and men on average have 20 times more testosterone. Another area of the hypothalamus, which is really the seat of sexuality in the human brain. It's called the INAH, INAH3. I'm not going to go into take time to go into that, but it's, it's another sexually important area and is twice as big, in fact, with twice as many neurons and also sensitive to um, testosterone uh, stimulation. Mm -hmm. The third area that uh, I want to mention is the amygdala and the amygdala is also twice as big <laughs> in the males and packed with twice as many neurons and, and is um, sensitive to sexual cues in males, um, and, tens and, and testosterone. The, the amygdala is the brain's, uh, survival command and control center. And so when it gives a, when it makes a statement and it makes a gives a signal, it's pretty hard for the, the, the male brain in this case to, um, ignore it. Interestingly, uh, women's amygdalas ha are very sensitive to food cues. And again, that, that may go back to our, um, you know, our ancestors, the way it was for our ancestors. One other thing, it's not, not even so much of a huge, you know, difference in, in the 20 times more testosterone that men have. It's also women have 13 times uh, more sex hormone binding globulin. So we're really getting the chemistry here. SHBG, sex hormone binding globulin. And what it does is it deactivates um, testosterone and, and estrogen. So you really have a, a really mismatch in the male brain versus the female brain as far as sex drive goes in most cases there's a few exceptions but it's it's um it's really really massively massively unequal how does and i think the reason for that is to, I say, how does that affect their interactions that like what yeah i guess you think you're about to answer it like what is the reason for that because that doesn't seem like a good thing well again in the past and this goes back our, our two million years men have always not always but oftentimes in the past, even up to 1960, have not had a, had a choice on sex except for meeting what the female demand was for it. Mm -hmm. So it's been a strong drive for them and, and they reached their highest level of testosterone in, at age 17. Mm -hmm. And it stays high throughout their 20s and only starts going down, you know, uh, uh, like about a percent a year after age 30. Mm -hmm. To me, Colleen, the, again, in God's design, that is to drive young men towards being willing to commit to this young woman who's, you know, demanding a certain, a certain romantic um, and chivalrous behavior in the past out of him. And, and he's going to commit to her, you know, at, at, at some point, you compare that to our hookup culture, and you, you don't have that, you don't have the women laying down the law, which has been, there, which has been there, you know, mm -hmm. historical, um, and I think given to them by God as a sexual nature um, role. And so uh, with feminism, you know, feminism, ironically, has really been destructive to women, I, I, I believe. And again, especially the last 10 
to, to 15 years. So that would be the purpose of it would be to drive men who wouldn't necessarily, you know, wouldn't necessarily maybe want to commit, you know, uh, given other choices to commit basically, basically, and to play by the rules in order to be around this woman, you know, the chaste rules that we talked about. And for that, vasopressin process and an oxytocin bonding process to be able to take place. So that's, that, that's what I think the purpose of it is. Okay. It's I just, have a question based off of that. <laughs> it's got, it's gone haywire though with, you know, the idea that men and women should act just the same, that men, women should, that the, the phrase they use is that women should F like, like men, you know, mm-hmm. and if you don't, you're being repressed and all of that. So that's really, really been a bad, um, ungodly, um, yeah. you know, a pathway. And that's what one of the main things that needs to be fixed in order to get us back to where we need to be. Do you have another question? I do. Um, okay, go for it. so if women are supposed to set this high bar and men need to like have that high bar to be able to commit to women, what does that mean for women who have a high bar in a society where other women are willing to sleep around? Like, will men actually rise to that occasion or are those men just going to settle for the women that are easy to get? I know you were saying they don't like when it's easy, but it seems like you have an imbalance of if some women are setting the bar really high and some women are willing to sleep around and men need to have a high bar to be able to commit. What what does that look like in today's modern age where you have such different situations going on? Excellent. It's a tough situation for women, especially chaste, chaste women, um, really strongly believing Christian, especially mm-hmm. Catholic women, traditional Catholic women. It's really tough, but what it comes down to is the, the men that the women, the women that the men are sleeping around with can pretty much count on not getting somebody to um, commit to them as, yeah. as their life, life goes along. The woman that, you know, won't play the game and, and, and is doing things that I think the way God intended them to be done mm-hmm. may have to wait a while because of this situation. Uh, but eventually she's got, I think she's going to be the one, she has the scarce resources. You know, she's, she's, the, she's the rare one that isn't, hasn't been with a bunch of other, other guys. And the guy doesn't have to you know worry about it. And, and she's kind of, um, you know, proof of concept that she, that she can be loyal and that, and that she, that her um, sexual integrity is important to her and she's not just going to give it to any guy. So it's kind of a quality versus quantity, you know, concept. Mm-hmm. Um, the quantity, the quantity the guy will take as far as every day, you know, um, yeah, for a week or two or whatever. And then he's on to somebody else. The, the, the chaste woman is the one that's going to get his attention as far as, as far as a marriage partner, that type of thing. That's literally what the, what the research has shown. Now, things like attract, you know, how attractive she is, you know, enters into it, you know, that those are, those are the tough type of things, but, um, the other thing to throw in here too, though, is that 80%, around 80% of the men will, given the chance to have easy, quote unquote, casual sex and, you know, priceless, um, not something they have to pay a price for, will take it. Mm-hmm. But the top 20%, and this is interesting, the top 20% in intelligence, just general intelligence, IQ, we would call it, general IQ of men are smart enough to want to have exclusive relationships. They don't want to necessarily, they don't want to have the hookup uh, situation going on. So a woman who's saving herself in the way you're describing um, would be very, a very attractive partner for somebody 
one of those males in the top 20% of IQ that's looking for somebody that has the same attitudes towards the importance of exclusivity as that he does. So, um, so yeah, that, that would be the answer I would give when society is as it is, it makes it really, really tough on women, particularly as, as this society is. That's why I say it's so ironic, the effect that feminism has had on, on, on women. Um, but the other thing I want to say is that society, we have a tendency to think it's, that history is linear, that just, you know, it started out over here, you know, being really, really pure and, you know, back in the old days. And it just, you know, continuously gotten worse and worse and worse and more and more sexual anarchy as opposed to sexual integrity. Mm-hmm. But actually it's been, you know, ups and downs. It's been, it's been cyclical. So in the last 350 years, we've had really three pendulum swings between sexual anarchy, which I would call, you know, you know promiscuity for another word and sexual integrity, which is the thing my life's become all about. So we're, so again, it's changed three times in 350 years. So about a hundred plus, little plus, a little bit over a hundred year cycle. Mm-hmm. We're, I think, at the tail end of the of a uh, very bad sexual an- anarchy um, yeah. uh, phase uh, cycle. So the the hardening news is that I think we're in, in the on the backlash of this one, and I think a lot of women are kind of getting tired of it. And I think that they're realizing that if, as a union, so to speak, mm-hmm. if they <laughs> if more and more of them start not playing the hookup game. Um, they're they're going to start raising their value up, and they're going to start getting more of what you described, you know, earlier. They're very you're very astute to to, to pick up on that. One piece of evidence uh, on that is that I don't know if you or your listeners, your your watchers, have heard of the dating site uh, OK Cupid, but yeah. they started out about two thousand four, two thousand five. Okay. And they were smart enough to do, they survey, surveyed their customers every year uh, as to their attitudes, you know, towards like casual sex and, and all of that, hooking up. And and from 2004 to 2016, it was it was always increasing the, um, the desire for casual sex and, and the openness to casual sex and that type of thing, hooking up. Mm-hmm. But starting in about 2016, it started going down the the openness to casual sex and that type of thing and especially with the the females the females have led the way like a 10 percent 10 percent a year basically so anyway i think that you know i think we have empirical proof that that what we're we've gone through you know is a terrible it's probably the worst sexual anarchy period we humans have ever been in mm-hmm. um probably next to i mean probably somewhere up there with sodom and gomorrah mm-hmm. um but I think we're due for, and we're seeing a, a, a swing back the other direction. I think that what you do, what you're doing, what I'm doing, what quite a few other, a growing number of other people are doing mm-hmm. is calling attention to uh, the situation and bringing the science to bear on it and, and, mm-hmm. and getting the word out there. So yeah. I'll stop there. Well, I would say science and truth always complement each other. So what the church has been teaching for 2000 years is backed up by science. And you see that in so many areas of life. So this is, I'm so glad that you have, are able to bring the science to prove that point here. Well, so. thank you. And I, I have the same, I had the same reaction to it. And I think it can be so useful to 20 something, you know, right. and 30 something, especially females, because as we're going to find out when we go into some of more of this, the females are much more vulnerable, you know, um, to the problems, to the STIs and, uh, 
no heartbreak right off the bat. You know, they're set up for heartbreak as we talked about. Um, but in the long run, it being the system that it is, um, that is just a terrible heartbreaker on the, on the women and all that. It really is in the long run is really bad for the, the males because they end up not having lives, the lives that they should be where they're that, that sexual energy is channeled into productive means and, 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 and where they become great providers, great husbands, great fathers. It, it's destructive to, to both sexes um, profoundly. So the, again, the purpose of us having these, you and I having these discussions is hopefully the folks that are going to be listening to this mm-hmm. are going to get wiser by it, by not having to experience them themselves, you know, exactly. Don't learn by experience. If you can uh, learn, learn by somebody else's experience. Yeah. So well, thank you so much for joining us today. And I look forward to having you back on to talk about how contraception affects it and everything else that there is to talk about. So thank you. Well, it's an honor for me. Thank you, Colleen. And I'll look forward to the next time. And to all of our listeners, please remember to like, subscribe, leave us a five-star review, and keep on living the culture of life. Check out the new eBooks that we have coming out. God bless.